we are in for a treat this morning. Uh, we are going to welcome Drew Hewn to come and share the word with us. If those of you who were around this summer got to hear him, you know what I'm talking about. We are really, really blessed to hear from him this morning. He is the founding pastor um, of the Hope Church Network and is currently the pastor at Hope Midtown um, and is very kindly coming to share with us this morning. So let's welcome Drew. Thank you, Lisa. All right. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, again, my name is Drew. Thank you for that introduction, and it's such a delight to be here. Um, I was surprised that they invited me to come back, um, but James told me that they couldn't find anyone else to preach today. So, uh, so that's why I'm here today. Now, for those of you guys who are new here or you're visiting Trinity for the first time, uh, I am not the regular person here, so you should come back next week to hear uh, the regular person here at Trinity and here, and just, uh, we would love for you to get involved here at this wonderful church that has an amazing legacy throughout the city. Um, so uh, it is the new year, and as we're approaching the new year over the next couple of days here, I know it's a time for reflection for many of us, and I thought, um, what would be a message that would be appropriate, not only for myself, but for all of us to be reflecting on as we enter into this new chapter, this new years are always these new beginnings, these moments, these markers in our lives where we begin to reflect on what are the things that I would like to change or what are the things before God that I would love to see him do in my life and in the lives of those around me. And so that's what we're going to be reflecting on today. And so before we do that, can you high five your neighbor and say happy new year? Can you do that? Yes. Yes, we are in the throes. We are in the throes. It felt like Christmas was just a blink of an eye. And here we are. Uh, I'd like to read for us again this passage that we see in the gospel account of Mark. And of course, the gospel accounts are historical accounts about the person of Jesus. And if you're new here or you're not a Christian here, uh, gospel accounts are really these historical accounts that we believe that Jesus, who's God uh, in the flesh, he's fully God and fully human, that Jesus would come down. And we have these stories that are found in the gospel accounts about what happens when people interact with the person of Jesus. And so in Mark chapter 10, he gives us this story of a guy named Bartimaeus. And here's what it says. It says, then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, I want you to get this picture because up to this point, Jesus comes on the scene. And he's already demonstrated that he's someone with great authority and power and conviction. Not only is he known as this amazing preacher and teacher, but he's also someone who started to do miracles. He started to to heal the sick, and to raise the dead even. And so he teaches with such great authority. He's casting out demons. There's something about Jesus that has this supernatural power. So you can imagine, uh, Jesus, of course, has already amassed an incredible following. There are people, crowds that are surrounding him. And it just so happens that he's, as he's going along the road, followed by crowds of people, the text tells us that there's this blind man named Bartimaeus. Now, it gives us his name probably because people already knew about this person. He was that blind guy on the side of the road. Doesn't belong in the story. Of course he doesn't belong because he's just a blind person begging. He can't even follow Jesus. And look what it says. It says, when, when he heard that it was Jesus... So here's Bartimaeus, who's already got this reputation as being this marginalized, outcasted fellow... It says, when they heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, because he's heard rumors of this Jesus, 
He's heard rumors that somehow there's this extraordinary person who, who claims to be God himself, who's come from God himself, who's healed the sick, who's raised the dead, who's taught with great authority. When he hears this, look at what Bartimaeus does. He began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I mean, you, you can almost see within Bartimaeus this, I've got nothing to lose. There's this Jesus fellow who I've heard about his reputation that precedes him. And so he shouts, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, now look at what happens. It says many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. I, it, it's like one of these moments, right? And have you ever kind of been someone, I've been a personal assistant for someone before where my job for, as a personal assistant to someone who was of great importance was basically when people would crowd around this person, I would say, oh, the, he needs to get going now and he can't talk to you right now because that, that was my job. I was kind of the, the, the person in the, in the front row who was supposed to keep unwanted people from talking to this very important person. And you can imagine the disciples also took on this kind of, this persona, this idea. Because the crowds are following. Jesus is the man. He's someone that everyone wants to follow. And so, of course, the disciples think, Jesus doesn't have time for this blind fellow. And so that's what it says. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Bartimaeus, get out of here. He's got no time for you. And can you imagine He's being told, be quiet. You're not worthy. And Jesus is just walking along. And, and his disciples, they're kind of like, hey, stop bothering him. He's got more important things to do. And yet here's what Bartimaeus does. He shows just how much. He's got, he's got nothing to lose. And so what does he do? Like any typical New Yorker, he starts to shout all the more. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Now, what's extraordinary about this account is that Jesus responds to this man. Can you imagine how he must have felt? There's this moment where Jesus actually responds to Bartimaeus, who, who no one expects. Of course, the disciples don't even expect him, Jesus, to, to have the time of day to talk to him. And so they call to the man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. This is what the disciples say. They're like, hey, actually, uh, Jesus actually is okay with seeing you. Get on your feet. And can you imagine, here Bartimaeus is. And now, the key to this verse and the key to this chapter that mo and key to this passage that many commentators, as they've written and they've studied this historical account, is found in verse 50. They call to the man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Now, look at what it says in verse 50. It says, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Now, why is this the key verse, that he throws his cloak aside? You see, many commentators have noted that when he throws his cloak aside, for a blind beggar who's on the side of the road, the cloak was everything to Bartimaeus. It was a place where he collected all of his money. It was what kept him warm at night. It was the only possession that he had of at least some sort of worth that would give him shelter, that would give him his source of income. And, and what commentators note is that when, when Bartimaeus, he throws his cloak aside, what he's essentially saying is, Jesus, I'm giving up everything to follow you. Now, if you look earlier in the Gospel of Mark, 
in this very chapter, there's another story, a story of a rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler is someone who, when Jesus confronts him about selling his possessions and following, going all in with Jesus, this rich young ruler cannot do that. And so later on in this chapter, here's this blind Bartimaeus who's different than the rich young ruler. But what commentators note is that in verse 50, when he basically, he gives up his cloak, he's doing the very exact opposite of, which, of what the rich young ruler did. He's willing to say, Jesus, I'm sacrificing everything. I'm giving everything to follow you. Now, many of us have probably heard this story about Christianity before. The story that we're supposed to give up those things that we've clung to, to follow Jesus, to make him everything in our lives. And of course, that's what the Christian life is all about. And of course, for Bartimaeus, it makes sense. This is the message. He's willing to give up everything that he clings to for security, for comfort, for status, for power, for control, whatever it might be. He's giving it up and giving up his cloak, and he's willing to follow Jesus. Now, this is a story that many of us have heard before. That to be a Christian, what we do is we sacrifice all these things so that Jesus can become our everything. And this is true, and this is fundamental to what it means to follow Jesus. But it's interesting. The story doesn't end there. Look at what happens after verse 50. So Bartimaeus jumps to his feet. He comes, I, I, can you imagine? He's, he's probably like staggering around. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. He, he, he cannot see. I can imagine someone just with sympathy is like, cheer up, okay? Let me, let me just take you to this Jesus person. He's staggering around. And notice, notice what Jesus says to Bartimaeus. He asks him this question. He says, Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? Now, can you imagine if you're one of the disciples? Like, you're one of the disciples. Here's Bartimaeus, who's, who's on his feet. He staggered himself to Jesus, right? And Jesus looks at Bartimaeus, and Jesus asks this question, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, if I were a disciple and I was holding Bartimaeus, I'd be like, blind. <laughs> like, like, it's kind of clear. It's kind of obvious. Everyone knows him as blind Bartimaeus. Like, like, he's, he's blind. He needs you, he needs you to heal him. You know, if, if I were Jesus in this moment, Bartimaeus, he comes, he comes to his feet. He staggers along to Jesus. I mean, it would make more sense that what Jesus would do is basically just with a word, because this is what Jesus could have done. Jesus could have basically said, be healed, Bartimaeus. Immediately he sees. He's like, oh my goodness, amazing. Praise Jesus. That could have been what happened, but Jesus doesn't do that. Or Jesus could have just simply said, salvation has come right now. Let me give you a teaching about the authority that I have over the physical world and all of the dominions of darkness. Be healed, Bartimaeus. He could have given a little sermonette doesn't do that. Instead, he asks this question to Bartimaeus that almost seems mean and patronizing. He asks the question to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? It's like, Jesus, that's kind of cold. Why would you ask that? It's clear. He needs to see. 
What he wants is to be able to see. But why does Jesus ask the question? Is it because Jesus doesn't know that Bartimaeus wants? No, that's not the, the case. Why is it? Well, number one, why does, why does he ask this question? Number one is because when Jesus asks this question of Bartimaeus, he's really asking Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? In the original language, this is literally what it says. What do you want me to do for you? That Jesus is making himself available to Bartimaeus. It's not like Jesus saying, what do you want me to do for you? And make sure it's according to my will. I just want you to know this, okay? You better ask the right thing. Otherwise, you shouldn't say any. He doesn't say any of that. He literally simply says, what do you want me to do for you? And the first reason why does Jesus say it is because he will, he will genuinely and authentically answer the question for Bartimaeus as honestly as he can, that Bartimaeus in this moment, he's going to honor this. It's not like Bartimaeus says, Jesus, I want to see, and, and Jesus is like, actually, I'm not sure if you really want to see. What you really need is your sins to be forgiven. You really need to, to change your life first before you follow me. Are you sure you want to follow? Are you, I'm not sure if I want to. Jesus is not going to give all of these conditions to Bartimaeus about following him. Instead, number one, he's authentically going to answer Bartimaeus. Why does he ask this question, what do you want me to do for you? A better way to understand this is, you see, Jesus would heal people. If you look in these gospel accounts, in these historical accounts, Jesus would heal people all the time. But if you notice, whenever he heals someone, he heals each person in a very unique way. So, for instance, in the gospel of Mark, there's this story of a leper of a leper who's calling out to be healed. And Jesus, what it says is the text tells us that he, he reaches out, he touches the leper, and then he says, be healed. Now, John Calvin says he could have healed him with a word, but he heals him with a touch. You see, whenever Jesus was healing different people, the reason why he healed people in many different ways is not because healings weren't just about healing someone's physical infirmity. It was about making the person whole, making them a human being made in the image of God. And so when he touches the leper, it's because the leper hasn't been touched. So instead of healing with the word, he heals with a touch. There's another story in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 5. There's a story of a woman who's, been, who, who's suffered at the hands of, of, of hemorrhaging and she's been bleeding for 12 years. And what happens is Jesus is again in a crowd and this woman, if you read the story in Mark chapter 5, it's this amazing story because she's probably worn the scarlet, le- the scarlet kind of cloak that identifies her as being unclean because she's bled in different ways and she was known as an outcast and what she does is she, she kind of makes her way through the crowd in Mark chapter 5, if you remember this story. She makes her way through the crowd, and she's got, she probably takes off whatever it is that, that showed that she was unclean. She starts bumping against people uncomfortably, trying to get to Jesus as Jesus is walking along in the crowd. And what ends up happening, she, she makes her way to Jesus, and it says that she touches the end of his cloak. So she touches his cloak. Immediately, she feels the power go through her, and she's healed. She's healed, and all she wants to do is, I just, I just got to get out of here. I got to get out of here because, oh, my goodness, I got what I came for. He healed. So she touches his cloak, and then Jesus says, who, who touched me? Who touched me? 
Now, you, you can imagine all the disciples are basically like, ah, oh, Jesus, like everyone's touching each other here. It's, this is like a crowded R train at 8 a.m. in the morning. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like, what do you mean, who touched you? And Jesus is like, no, 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 someone touched me. I felt the power go out of me. And can you imagine for this woman, this woman who all she wanted to do was, was get healed, and she's healed, and she just wants to get away and live her life now. What ends up happening is she, he says, who touched me? And she comes, she comes before, before everyone in this whole crowd. And she says, it was me. And the text tells us that she goes on to tell the whole truth. In other words, she goes on to tell everyone in this crowd, you see, I've been suffering, I've been bleeding for 12 years, and I've been unclean. And I can imagine all the people that were around this woman, you're unclean, and you probably touched me. How dare you do that? How dare you? How could you do that? How could you be so irrespective of people? I can't believe this. You're unclean. You don't deserve to be here. You can imagine this woman who just all she wanted was a touch. And here she is, just pouring her guts out before Jesus and everyone else. Saddled with shame. All she wanted was to get healed and to get away. And Jesus has her tell the whole truth. Now, what was Jesus doing there? You see, after she tells the whole truth, it's this amazing moment because Jesus says to her, daughter, daughter. I want to heal not only your affliction, heal all those moments when you've been told that you're, you're not good enough, that you're not accepted, that you're not welcome. Daughter. You see, this is very common for Jesus that each person that he heals, he does it in such a unique way. And the reason he does it in such a unique way is because he's not only about healing someone's illness, wants to heal a person's dignity. Of course Jesus knows Bartimaeus wants to see. Of course. The reason why he asks Bartimaeus this question, what do you want me to do for you? Is because he wants Bartimaeus to have the experience as a human being to come before God be able to say with his own lips, Jesus, I want to see. I want to see. He wants to restore to Bartimaeus the dignity and the wholeness and the part that makes many of us human is that each of us would have desires and wants and needs. And he wants Bartimaeus to be able to articulate with his own lips, Jesus, I want to see. He wants Bartimaeus to know that you're not some nobody who doesn't deserve 
to, to say what you want and what you need. Instead, he says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Because I want you to know that you are so valuable. And all the stories that you've been told that you're not allowed to ask for what you want, I want you to come to me and I want you to say with your own lips, I want to see. Now, I can relate to this some uh, because I grew up in, a, in an immigrant family, and I was the youngest of four boys, and uh, in three and a half years, my mom and dad had four of us because my brother and I were twins, and so my father, meanwhile, was this larger-than-life kind of personality and very dominant personality and very violent as well, and so very early on, we learned to kind of to fall in line in the family order. And of course, the family order, me being the youngest, and even my twin brother would often say, man, you're the youngest. And I'm like, dude, you're only three, three minutes older than me. And, uh, but that was kind of, I was, I was the, the youngest of this family and my father with this very authoritative, violent kind of background. And so I quickly learned that I was, I had no voice in the family. And as a result, the way that I grew up was that I just didn't have wants or needs. It was whatever, it's usually it's whatever dad wants, and then we'll go down the pecking order, but of course Drew doesn't have any needs. And so for most of my life, I've kind of grown up in this way that I felt like I haven't deserved things. And as a result, it's very difficult for me to ask for what I want. Uh, in fact, my wife, this drives her crazy. My wife, Tina, like sometimes she'll, she'll say to me, hey, like, where do you want to eat? And I'll say, oh, you know, where, honey, wherever you want to eat. And she's like, okay, okay, all right. Um, are you sure you don't, you don't want to eat anywhere? I'm like, yeah, yeah, wherever you want to eat. And then she'll be like, okay, let's go to that Italian place. Let's go to Patsy's or something. I'm like, okay, okay, let's, let's do it. You know, and then on our way to Patsy, I'm like, oh, we're eating Italian again? You know? and, and she's like, wait, what, 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 just, what just happened there? What, what, just, what just happened? There's this weird passive-aggressive way because I, I just... Even when my wife asks me clearly, what do you want? I just, I, I just kind of grew up learning that I'm not allowed to want things. And even before God, there are moments even with God where I, I just feel like I don't deserve to ask God for things because it's a way of me being selfish or being self-righteous. And as a result, what I'll do is I'll just be passive-aggressive about it or I'll just never ask. You know, my counselor, who I used to meet with regularly, he has a very similar personality to me. And one of the things that he said to me was that his spouse, his wife, would, would say to him, like, hey, um, and I'll call him Bill. He says, Bill, what, what do you want? You know, and he'll be like, oh, whatever you want. And, uh, and she'll say to him, like, you know, Bill, it's so hard to love you. And Bill will say, like, what are you talking about? It's like I'm like the easiest person to love. I usually let you get your way. Uh, sure, I'm passive aggressive sometimes, but I'm always willing to say whatever you want. What do you mean? It's hard to love me. I'm like the easiest person to love. I may or may not have said that to my wife before as well. Uh, sometime. I'm the easiest person to love. And he told me that his wife said to him, no, 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 Bill, you don't understand the reason why it's hard to love you. It's because... Oftentimes, I don't know who Bill is. It's hard to love someone who I, I, don't, I don't know 
who you are because part of what makes us human, part of what gives us dignity is this freedom to ask and to seek and to find. And when Jesus says this to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? He's basically saying, Bartimaeus, I want to hear it from your lips. I want you to know as someone who has inherent worth and dignity that what you want and what you need really matters to me. Now, with that said, of course, there would have been inappropriate ways for Bartimaeus to respond. Like, like, it would have been inappropriate, for instance, if Jesus says to Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus is like, oh, Jesus, I just want to be six foot five. I want to make like a million dollars before the age of 20. And I want all those people who thought that I was a loser in high school to think that I'm the, the coolest, baddest man alive. Like, I, there's an inappropriate kind of selfish kind of ambition. That would have been inappropriate for Bartimaeus to, to, to have. But it also would have been inappropriate if Jesus basically says to Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus says, well, ah, Jesus, whatever, whatever you will, whatever you will. I'm not even going to, whatever you will. <laughs> like, right, like, I mean, as if he's a non-person, as if he's a chameleon, as if he's got this pseudo-fake spirituality, like he's more humble than everyone else. You see, that's inappropriate as well because it's inauthentic to Bartimaeus' personhood. And when Jesus asks this question, he wants to restore it. Now, Bartimaeus, of course, he's already demonstrated. He's willing to give up his cloak. He's willing to sacrifice everything to follow Jesus. And because of that, what Jesus is basically saying to him, Jesus, you've already demonstrated you're willing to give it all up. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to come to me. Come to me as a good dad who loves you and cares for you. And I want you to be able to say, this is what I want. This is what I need. I have a, a friend who's a counselor here in the city who's a Christian counselor. And... One of the things that he, he, he tells me about um, when he meets with many people, whether married, couples, singles, um, is one of the most difficult things is for people to have honest conversations about the, what they want and what they need. Now, of course, this is surprising in a place like New York, where sometimes we're a bit more abrasive than normal. And, uh, but he, he actually made me a list of, here are some of the things that I hear the most regularly about things that are hard for people to articulate, to say with their own lips to people that they love, to their friends, to their spouses. And so I, I thought we'd show that list. And uh, here's the first part of the list. He, and sometimes what he would do is he would have us in our church community, we would get together as a small group of people. And we would begin with this phrase, I'm not saying this is true of me because God forbid I was ever this honest. He would gather us in a group, and each of us would go around, and we'd read these one by one. I'm not saying this is true of me, but sometimes I just need a hug. I'm not saying this is true of me, but sometimes I just want to be listened to for 10 or 15 minutes. Sometimes I'd like to tell the long version of my story to another person or small group. Sometimes I need a place of refuge. Sometimes I need to go somewhere with someone and do something fun. Hello, somebody. <laughs> I go to the next slide. It's just, 
Sometimes it's nice to hear, I'm so glad you're here. I'm not saying this is true of me, but sometimes I feel invisible. I'm not saying this is true of me, but sometimes I like it when people give me sincere compliments. I'm not saying this is true of me, but sometimes I wish I could have a safe and friendly place to hang out. I'm not saying this is true of me, but sometimes it's nice to hear, I really appreciate what you do for people. I'm not saying this is true of me, but sometimes I wish someone would ask me, what are some of your dreams, your goals, your hopes, your wishes? I'm not saying this is true of me, but sometimes I just need to hold someone's hand. I'm not saying this is true of me, but sometimes when I'm in a bad mood, I just need those around me to be okay with that. I'm not saying this is true of me, but sometimes I like to go for a quiet walk with somebody. I'm not saying this is true of me, but sometimes I wish I could do something fun and adventurous with a few other people. One of the things my, my friend told me is that so many times, what counseling is, is it's this opportunity to, to restore human dignity and people to feel like they're worth, worthy and they're valuable and to be able to say with your own lips. Now, you know what's interesting is at the end of this exercise, we'll have people one by one read these and then we'll, we'll ask people, why don't you mark up which one is true of you? And it's amazing. We've got people who are bankers, people who are young teenagers across the gamut. There's people from many different backgrounds where somehow this list, this very human list becomes very real to so many of us. I have yet to meet someone who says, none of those things are true of me. Except those who lie. Jesus is saying to Bartimaeus, more than healing your sight, I want to heal your soul. I want you to be able to say, this is, this is what I want. This is what I need. You know, there's a woman who I met one time at our church and as we were talking about this idea of being able to freely express what you want and what you need, she was telling me that she grew up also very similar to me without being able to express anything. And so when she became a Christian, she became a Christian at her church and as she was journeying with God, of course she learned about how great God is and how her will is not that important. That's God's will that's important. And all of these things are true. And she mentioned though that there was a moment where she um, had this illness that she didn't really tell anyone about. And she said to me that as she was wrestling with this idea of being able to express what you want and what you need, she felt like God had given her this illness and so she could not ask God to heal her, God forbid. And she said she all she remembers is the voices of her own family that's saying like, you're never gonna get what you want. And so as a result, she just never asked God for healing. And as we were talking and journeying, we, we just said, what, what, if, what if God invited you to say with your own lips, I wanna be healed. 
And, and so a group of us gathered around her, and I remember she prayed. And right when she said these words from her own lips, I want to be healed. It was just this amazing moment where each of us had an opportunity to come around her and pray for her. And she ended up getting healed. See, God doesn't just want to heal our bodies. He wants to heal our dignity, our soul. Now, some of you, I know, because this is what skeptical New Yorkers do, we start to think, well, Drew, but listen, I've asked God for things, and I haven't gotten any. What about those moments? It's better off if I just didn't ask and if I was just not disappointed all the time. Have you ever been there? I know that I've been there before. Now, you know what's so amazing about the Christian journey and about the story of Jesus? There's actually this moment for Jesus himself where he prays to God the Father and he actually prays and he asks God for something. And check out what he says uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, going a little far farther, he's, he's, he's praying in the garden and it says, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken. There it is. Jesus has the freedom to ask. And then he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, of course, what's Jesus asking for here? He's, this is in the garden of Gethsemane before he's going to the cross. And he's basically praying to God the Father. If there's any other way, this is what I would want. This is what I would want, God. But not my will, but yours be done. Now, here's the beautiful message of the Christian story. See, the beautiful message of the Christian story is that the reason that we can come to God with all of our wants, with all of our desires, where he would ask us this question, what do you want me to do for you? The reason why we can come to him is because Jesus himself would actually give up his own wants so that you can have your wants. Jesus himself, God himself, would be so for you that he would give up his very life so that you might have it. And this is the beauty of the Christian message, is that we get to come before God now. And look at what Jesus teaches in, the, in, in Matthew. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus invites us to ask, seek, and knock. The Apostle Paul, who's one of the founders of Christianity, who was a convert, who started to follow the Jesus way. This is the way he puts it when he talks about Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, this is what uh, Paul would say. Uh, if we can go to, it says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us to the glory of God. That today, God wants to reveal himself to each of us as a good father. Now, some of you are like, well, what if I'm disappointed? Well, we'll see, even if you're disappointed, if you can trust that he's a good dad, if you can trust, and this is what Paul says, he says, how will he who do not spare his own son but freely gave him up for us all, how will he also not want to give us all things, freely give us all things? What he's basically saying, here's the logic of it. He's saying, if God himself would give his life away so that you might have it, don't you think he always has your best interest in mind? And he wants to invite you in this new year to be able to pray with your own lips. God, I want to be healed. God, I want you to heal my family. 
God, I want you, I need some breakthrough when it comes to my future and my career. I, want, I need some breakthrough when it comes to some of the bitterness in my own heart. I need some breakthrough. And so the exercise that I want to join, I want to invite all of us into today is for us to ask with our own lips and to hear from God, yes and amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And I'm going to invite you all to stand with me at this moment. Henry Nowen, he's got this beautiful book where he talks about prayer. And one of the things he talks about in prayer is asking with open hands. And I love this image. And I'm, I'm going to invite you, if you can just open your hands with me as well. And uh, in this moment, and the reason why he says we ask with open hands is because we come before Jesus. And what we do is we, we, we offer up our very lives. We give up our cloaks first. And we give them up and we say, God... You give and take away. And I release the things that I've clung to. But he also says we, we ask with open hands as well. Not with clenched fists, but with open hands. We ask him because he invites us to ask. He says, what do you want me to do for you? So before we go into communion, I just want to give you a moment with your own open hands. As we enter into this new year, before God, to simply ask, God, this is what I want. This is what I need. I want to give up my cloak. And after I've given up my cloak, I just... of my affliction release these addictions I want to have a joy that knows no bounds I want to have a peace that transcends understanding Father, over this room, I pray healing. I pray breakthrough. I pray fire from the living God. That you would grant us a new kind of hope, a new kind of joy, a new kind of peace, a new kind of purpose. God, I pray for anyone here who, who's battling the weightiness of broken relationships. God, we pray for healing. Pray for anyone here who has found themselves in situations where they've lost hope and been in despair. And today, God, in the powerful name of Jesus, we pray hope over this room. We pray passion. We pray a new lease on life. We pray a belief in the one who would give his life for us that we might have life in all of its fullness and abundance. Would you break that in this room this morning, God? Give us the freedom to pray with our own lips. Jesus, I want to see. I want to be healed. I want to live for you. 